Welcome back to another episode for the Authentically Obsessed. I'm Margaret Petrie, generating moments of discovery for people in hot pursuit of their life. I'm delighted to be bringing you these conversations with creatives who are embracing the joy and the uncertainty that fuels their work. Today, you're going to hear from Rachel Singleton, an experimental textile and mixed media artist who's living in West Yorkshire, England. Rachel's work is stunning. I'm not sure how to describe the holistic way in which she creates, but she collects these bits of her life, her feelings and experiences and surroundings, and combines them all to create these unique and thought-provoking pieces of art. She recently participated in a residency at the Nature in Art Museum and Gallery, which is the world's first museum and art gallery dedicated to art inspired by nature. She described her time there as a cocoon of delight. And oh, I can't wait to visit someday. During our chat, she talked about her truly authentic obsession with stone and stone walls and describes those feelings of containment and constraint. She also describes times of delicious boredom and how it's so important to have time to contemplate. You can follow Rachel on Instagram and check out her website, all the links and takeaways, and also photos of her work are in the show notes and on her episode page at AuthenticObsessions.com. I think I forget to say that each time, but on the episode page, I always post a lot of pictures, so you need to go check them out there. And I have a favor. If you love the podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps us get the word out to creatives and entrepreneurs who need to hear what our guests are saying. Okay, let's get on with our conversation. Hi, Rachel. I'm so glad you're here with me today. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for inviting me. I'm really excited as well. Can we start off with you telling us a little bit about your creative path and the work that you're doing right now? Um, yeah, so I'm someone who never did art formally at school, uh, never did um, O levels and A levels as they were at the time. Um, my path really was always going to be uh, being a teacher. And so kind of some of the subject choices and um, um my path was really sort of set with, with that in mind, but I have always, always made things, painted things. Um, and I've grown up in a family of makers, really. So my mum, my dad, my brother, my grandparents all make all sorts of things. My mum is a beautiful, was a beautiful um, pillow lace maker. Mum's um, still around, but she's not making lace at the moment. And dad, um, he's turned wood. Um, he, he can draw my brother calves. My grandmother was a beautiful sort of seamstress and, um, you know, did all those kind of garments that grandparents used to do back in the day. And great grandma was a milliner. Um, so she made beautiful hats. So I think it's in my DNA. And if it's not, it's kind of nature and nurture, probably. Um, so I, my earliest memories of being arty were sitting at the kitchen table after Blue Peter was on television, which was um, a BBC program over here. As a little girl, they would always make things pretty much out of junk usually. 
And my mum and I would always make these different things that they showed you. If I had a friend round, I can remember sitting at the kitchen table and the phrase was always, what shall we make? So I've always kind of done things. Um, and that delicious kind of boredom that comes from not knowing what to do for a little bit. And then you suddenly get an idea and then you're away. But uh, yeah, I've always made things. I've always done art on the side of um kind of a, a different career path really um so I did do a little bit of adult ed classes um you can join colleges over here um there's much less of it around now with budget cuts but you could take classes so I did a ceramics class I did a bit of watercolor painting that kind of thing and I've I've pretty much had a go at nearly everything you can think of so patchwork um painting salt dough back in the day um all sorts of things um I yeah I've had a go at at everything I I really liked painting and when I look back at my path paint is the common denominator even though I do a lot of textile work it nearly always involves paint or printing with it that kind of thing um and more recently I'm returning to painting um abstracts actually um, so I would describe myself as a maker, um, a bit of a both-and kind of person. So um, I like textile art and I like painting and I've had plenty of crises, really, thanks to social media, um, trying to articulate who I am as an artist, only, only because being having a, a presence requires you to kind of do that sometimes people ask you to do cvs and all these different uh, different things and you think well how do i describe myself and um actually i've wrangled with that for quite some time and, and i'm sitting happily now as a maker of many things i sometimes describe myself as a maker of a million things and i in a course of a day will will do some stitching will do some painting you know i will do lots of different things and that that kind of keeps me going um and as a maker, um, the thing that fuels me is the chase of an idea. Always, always the chase of an idea. I have an idea. How can I make this? You know. Um, how do your How do your ideas come to you? Um, well, I know a little bit about how the brain works, and I think you feel them as aha moments. You know, you wake up in the morning and think, "Oh, my brain's just suddenly put all these things together," and I know that's not the case, really. Um, I think the, the, your brain works in the background without your conscious part quite a lot of the time. Um, I describe it as being like going across the moors with a pack horse, you know, um, and you've got these bags of things with you. It's like a, a traveling companion. And then you're, you're kind of incubating this idea, really. And then suddenly it'll come out when a load of connections have been made. So... I think it's about being interested in lots of different things, having a lot of different experiences, chatting to people. Um, more than that, it's really difficult to say. I just know I've got a head full of ideas. I'm never short of an idea, <laughs> sometimes short of time. You know, that reminds me of something that um, I read on your blog where you talked about simply looking long enough at things and being able to see things from a distance and contemplate and mull. And I am curious how 
you know, if you've been listening, I've been talking a lot about pausing and taking moments to just sort of be and let things come to you. And if you're busy all the time, the aha moments are harder to notice. You need those moments of contemplation, like you said. Yeah, I think, and it might be wrong, but I think, is it Debussy who said music is the space between the notes? Mm. And um, if it's not, yeah. And it, it, it is, I, I know we're going to come on to the residency later, but that's one of the things I felt I got um, in, in terms of that space and that, that pause. Um, I think part of what makes um, artists an artist is noticing things and taking time to notice, just as you've said. And I'm aware of looking at things and probably making more connections or just noticing things that are interesting to me that somebody else might not. And I don't feel special in that regard. I just think we practice it more. Um, and so we've we've kind of noticed all this pile of goodies and I think our head then starts connecting them together and think, well, actually that's a bit like this. Or So I think a lot of ideas come from a relationship between what you see and sense externally and what's going on in your self internally. That's often how it is with me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, okay. So you were talking about the different types of work that you create and you have been making these, I don't know if you're still doing it, these stitched tiny pots. These are incredible. They're so beautiful. Did you, how did you come up with this idea? Did you see someone else do it? Did you just create it on your own? You guys, you have to go look because the pictures are so beautiful. And I mean, it's just a work of art. Oh, thank you. Um, it's a bit of a story to them, really. And it started in the pandemic because I had some arts council funding to go and do a project. Um, and the project was... Um, to create a textile surface that I could translate into a bronze sculpture. It was really exciting. And I went over to Ireland to do that. And over in Ireland, I've got two artist friends um, and I was staying with them um, along with uh, another friend of mine. And we didn't have much room in our bag. So we'd both taken some bits of scraps of stuff with us and we swapped around. And I, I started just stitching a, a, a length of calico by putting little scraps of fabric onto it. Um, and, and that's something that many, many people do. It's not, that's not new, but I, I used to just sit there thinking, I don't know what I'm doing. This is a bit of tut, as we'd say over here. You know, I'm just stitching. Um, and I thought, well, what, what, what am I looking at? And um, it might've been a sunset or a bit of a rusty post or somebody's garden. And so each day I thought, right, I'll stitch something to do with different memories, you know, from the two weeks that I was over there. And I just um, filled this length of, uh, of stitchy bits over snippets of fabric. And I'd made them into two vessels, which were sat in my studio for most of a year, really. Um, I'd also um, started attending a couple of courses because I, I knew I wanted to do a little bit more mark making and, and bring that out in textiles and art a little bit more so I'd I'd done a couple of courses um and 
there are other people out there who who make um, tiny pots. Um, I, I, so I saw somebody's little tiny pot on um, on social media, and it, it wasn't like it wasn't particularly like the ones that I do. Um, but I looked at it and I thought I really like that because I'd been dissatisfied with the two that I'd made. And I couldn't work out why, really. Um, they look quite nice, I think, but I just they were they weren't scratching my itch. Um, and when I saw the tiny pot, I thought, you know what? I'm gonna just cut them up. So I I heated the bottoms of them and took off the it was like a sticky interfacing that, that held them together on the bottom, and that came away. Um, it was it's glued on one, one surface, so heating it up reactivated the glue and I took that off and I unpicked it it took quite a while and I thought I'm just going to chop it up and make small pots and when I chopped them up the the revelation was the change in scale so all that busy sort of stitching suddenly when you'd only see a tiny tiny bit of it created really lovely little designs little abstract designs you know depending on which way around you had the pot um And so that was the start of them. And then I used some fabrics from uh, a course that I'd done to do some about the summer fields. Um, I took a piece of fabric on holiday to the Isle of Man. I did a a set there. Um, I cut up another piece of work that I quite liked. That wasn't a particular memory of anything. But um, during the year, I've done little sets of the seasons. um, And um, there's sort of several different kind of memory type ones. And at the moment, I'm just playing around with some colour, really, and looking at complementary colours together. Um, and I have a really old bit of gnarly wood that sits on my shelf in my studio, which I picked up off a beach. And I sit them on there and take take photos of, you know, interesting bits of them. Oh, they're fantastic. The colour palette is so pleasing. They just make my heart sing when I look at them. I mean, I just smile. So anyway, um, okay. Let's, before we get too much further, can we talk a little bit about the obsession piece? Um, This is that thing that maybe you, maybe you know what it is right now, or maybe you don't, but it's either intangible or tangible, sort of a through line that works its way into your creative practice. And that is really yours. It's all Rachel's and you can't stop talking about it. And it sort of worms your way into your life yeah well I do know what it is and um I've struggled to articulate it and I can think of no better phrase than an authentic obsession that is exactly what it is you know I I can't think of any better words to describe how I feel about this thing that I keep doing it is an obsession and because it comes right from within you it, it is also authentic they are the most perfect words to describe how I feel. <laughs> and the thing that I'm obsessed about is, and have been for a long time, actually, is stone and stone walls. Um, I've always loved pebbles. Um, and, yeah, stone has always featured. But living in Yorkshire, which I've done since 2000, of course, all the fields and the countryside, which we're never very far away from, is covered in beautiful stone walls um and and that's my obsession I keep I keep making things about stone and pebbles and the marks and the textures and the colors of it 
um, and it keeps on and on and on reappearing. Um, it started in earnest a few years ago um, after a long course I took with someone called Kim Titterjai, who ran uh, a course called Experimental Textiles. And following that, we had a group exhibition and we chose the theme of line. And I'd done a tiny sketchbook full of samples um, on the Cornish coast uh, of these beautiful pebbles. And I thought, well, there we go. I can I can use that. So um, I did a number of pieces for that. Um, I've got things in my studio. I've got a big basket full of pebbles. Um, I'm looking at sort of cairns, which are big triangular type things, which all the sides open out. Um, I've got pieces in my cupboard that I'm not finishing off until I know if I can have an exhibition at some point, because it's a question of where you put them. But they've got um, felted um, stones uh, inside little boats. Um, so again, that's all about stones. Um, yeah, 2D pieces, all sorts. And then I think more recently, um, one of the things that's really got me motivated um, is a poem called The Song of the Stone Wall by Helen Keller. Helen Keller, um, if you don't know, was deaf and blind as a child, and she's quite a famous character and is over in the States because she was, uh, you know, a tour de force really in terms of um, campaigning for all kind of things back in back in her day. Um, and I started reading this poem called The Song of the Stone Wall. And I thought, wow, I've been looking at stone from the point of view of someone who can see it. So I've kind of been looking at surface, really, surface textures and colours. Here's someone who can't see and can't hear. And yet she describes the stone wall in the most breathtaking way. And it's all kind of in her imagination about the things that live on it, where it's come from, the fact that it's, you know, um, um, jewels are made from within it. Um, she was quite religious, so she talks about uh, about that as well. But it also, it ambles like a stone wall does. It's really long, so you might not want to read it all. But it is the most beautiful poem and has some phrases in there that I really um, would was taken with things like a thousand hues of grey and this sort of thing. And I'm thinking, this is someone who can't see how do you know, you know, and, and how she feels all the little pits and um, places where the tiny plants and the moss grow, all this, this just inspired me no end. Um, and um, that is something that I've been trying to get out for years, probably about four years. I know I wanted to do a big piece about that um, and it just wouldn't come. My, my, my sort of sketchbooks are filled with well, it could look like this. I'm like, no, that's not right. Well, it could look like that. No, that's not right. And I'll do some samples of this. No, that's not right. And I've really been annoying myself hugely um, trying to get this piece out. And I thought, well, if I don't do it soon, it's it's going to go to the great compost heap in the sky and just become fodder for other things. It's not going to actually come out and be born, as it were. Um, so um, before I went on the residency, that's what I was wrestling with, which I can talk to you a bit more about in a minute. So uh, I love that so much. A few things struck me when you were talking. Um, one is all about sort of perception and perspective. So we can see something for so long. I can walk through the same path in the woods 
over and over again for years at a time. And then all of a sudden I will see something new or I will be there with someone else and they will point something out. And I will think, how did I never notice that? Um, but just that deep noticing from a different perspective makes you look at something completely differently. Um, and I was thinking about what you said about when you made those long pieces of fabric with all the stitching and then you made giant vessels and then you cut them up and made smaller ones. And then you noticed, and it struck me that it seemed like what you were saying about Helen Keller is that you've been looking at stone walls in this way. And all of a sudden she brought it down to a very small area or in a way that you hadn't noticed before. Seems like there's a lot of similarity there. Yeah. Mm. I think her, you know, obviously her inner world is, is you know, would have been massive for her and her imagination. But yeah, just just breathtaking words that, that I would never have come up with as somebody with all my senses. Um, yeah, just um, just kind of felt like I want to do her proud somehow. <laughs> Aww, I love that. OK, so talk about your residency. This is this was at the Nature and Art Museum and Gallery, which is like the first museum dedicated to art inspired by nature is what I read, right? And you went and you did a residency there. So tell us all about it. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay. Um, well, I knew I've known about um, nature and art for a long time. Uh, I went I went there several years ago on my way to somewhere else because it's off one of our motorways. So it's quite easy to get to in that sense. Um, and I also knew they had an artist resident program there. Um, and I was actually demonstrating at our exhibition centre in Birmingham and somebody came up to me um, and was chatting and said, oh, I think your work would sit really well there. You should you should see about going. And so I thought, well, hmm, uh, how does this work? Uh, anyway, so I managed to contact um, the director and just said, look, this is me. <laughs> I don't do animals. I don't do paintings of, you know, flowers and so on. I'm fairly obsessed with stone and stone walls at the moment. And the more I thought I'm going to put you off, the more he decided, yes, that was interesting. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we had a chat and um, basically you get a week uh, to go down and be an artist, in, well, the artist in, in resident there. So that's what I did in May. Um so it's a really big mansion house and it's got a lovely sculpture garden there. Um, it's got an education centre and round the back of um, a brick wall through an arch is the artist's studio. And it's it's quite sizable. I mean, it's big enough for a group of folk to work in together. And, and some, you know, that's how it happens with some people. Um, so to have it all to myself was was really lovely. Um, and I was able to try to put put my work and paintings down one end and then kind of have a messy other end. Um, and uh, so there was a big, um, like not printers, um, architects drawing kind of table down one end, which was taller, um, which suited my back. So um, that was my really messy table. Um, and it, it was just lovely um, as a pause, really, as that, as that place to reflect on that piece of work. Because what happened before I went was I had a bit of a panic and I thought, what am I going to take down there? 
I don't think I want to take painting because I kind of have to concentrate to finish anything off quite a lot. And um, the public are able to wander through and talk to you and ask you questions and, you know, um, so on. So, and, and that's lovely because I do really like talking to people. And, and there were a lot of people who came through, quite a lot who came through um, because I'd put it on Instagram that I was going to be there. So that was a you know really special treat really to meet to meet everyone. Um, but I knew that I had to kind of be in that stage of the creative process where I could just be making and not be wrestling with thoughts too much. Now this piece about the stone wall is what I wanted to take. And so I'd done some prep work and I'd laid some stuff out in my studio on the floor and I thought, it right, that's it. It's going to look like this. This is the final incarnation of this piece. And I looked at it and I thought, no, that's not right. It's, it's boring. It's not going to work. And I thought, I'm just going to have to let this go. And it was a real moment. I, actually, I just thought, I can't do it. I'm going to have to take something else to do. And a week is a long time to spend somewhere. So I knew I wanted a you know, project I could get stuck into. And I sat down on this chair with my phone and I thought, well, what? And um, I looked back over my files, which I keep of kind of ideas and things. And I had been interested in very um, simple figures. Um, I quite, I quite like the hiddenness of the human form. I don't, I like paintings where there's a suggestion of a figure but it's not kind of uh, really representational and obvious and I, I looked at them and I thought mm, I wonder now what I do which you'll know from the stitch pots is nearly always I'm cutting things up and sticking things together so a big piece becomes lots of smaller bits together and that is definitely something that marks me out I'm, I'm someone that puts all lots of lots of things together um, whether it's um, materials or you know actual bits of pieces and I'd taken some of the bigger bits of kind of layered works that I'd done and I um I didn't chop them up but I did fold them up <laughs> and I made myself a bit of a figure outline and I thought I wonder what they'd look like if I made these figures um with with these textures that I'm building and the moment I put them together in different ways in this human figure form I just thought yeah that's it that's what I need to do. But I didn't really understand why I was doing figures. And I thought, well, I'm just going to trust the process because sometimes you just do really. I'm a huge believer in that your work teaches you stuff, but it doesn't do it while you're doing your work. It's normally afterwards you start to see, oh, that's why I did this. That's why I've got people there. And actually, it's one thing I expressed on my blog was, um, I was really happy with what I was doing, but I thought, I don't know why I'm doing people. And um, someone replied on the blog, which was another delightful thing that came out of the residency and said, could I just suggest that it might have something to do with the words in the poem, which start, come walk with me. <laughs> you know, I, I consistently feel really dim about not seeing things like that in my work. And I think you you know, you really need other people to help you see that. Um, so the, so the, so it was a chance to kind of um, play around with these figures, play around at scale. And one of the really nice things was the studio was big enough to put them on a wall and stand back and look at them and, and kind of gauge that really. 
and how they might stand uh, together and what I might want to do with them. So they're still all roughly um, cut out at the moment because I think I want some of them to be back to back so they could hang and turn and twist and some may be 2D on a wall with this idea that you could walk through them as, as if you were walking along a wall um, and that some of those shadows might kind of echo some of the people whose hands made the walls, you know, over the years. So that's that's the idea. And the um, that workspace and being in that little cocoon of delight for a week um, allowed that to happen, really. Um, it's, yeah, and it was, so time for ongoing ideas to carry on forming, I think. Um, something about actually recording the experience and looking back at it, I think that's always really valuable. Um, being away and not having to worry about what I was eating and that kind of thing just gives you uh, time for your head to you know, to look at what you're doing and just stand there and stare at it if need be. You know, you're not thinking, oh, I've got to put some washing in somewhere. You've got the time to wander in early in the morning or stay late and just look at it and stare at it. And I suppose it comes back to noticing in that deeper way um and the other thing was it was just absolutely joyful the weather was amazing there was a field of cows out the back and I don't think they'd been in this field because they were literally running and jumping into it the first two mornings I saw them they were very happy cows um there were flowers everywhere the birds were having babies in the sculptures um and it's it just this life force was you know really in action that week and I just felt it coursing through me I think it was just a delight oh okay when I go back to the UK that is on my list of somewhere to visit I really want to go see that um when you talked about hanging the works so that you could walk through them the sculptures and the people um the figures I should say um what an immersive experience that would be what I just think that'd be incredible especially since we're so used to not being able to touch or, you know, we have to stand apart from works of art. There's this kind of no touch thing that happens when you're in a gallery or museum and to be able to kind of swish your body through this and feel the whole experience. Now, I don't know what that would do to your pieces of art if there were a bunch of people walking through and touching it, but. I would, I would like them to be touched actually, because that's part of the Keller side of the story, really, isn't it? Because she would have read in Braille, you know, and it was all about touch for her and through the hands. And so some of my people have got, I've got a stencil of like a really old looking script, like a really old gnarly, you know, writing off, you know, like you might find in a church, that sort of really old Latin-y kind of stuff. And I've been starting to stencil that on some of it because I um, really like, putting text into my pieces. Um, I think it's about saying, I've got something to say about this. And that's that's it really. But with, with some of the text that I've um, layered up, I've then put French knots all over the top of it. So it's designed for you to feel it. It's designed for you to feel the letters like, a bit like braille. And I've got a friend whose daughter is blind, so she's going to give me some braille papers to work with, but definitely it will be for touching. And there's bits of hairy moss and bun moss and various things like that, which, yeah, I'm not precious about it. It's, yeah, I'd love I'd love people to to to, to be able to do that, whenever it's uh, makes its appearance. 
So are there reactions that you're hoping to spark in people or conversations that you hope come out of the work that you do? You thought about um, that? Yeah, I mean, I, I love chatting about my work. Um, so I think if I was ever to be able to have an exhibition, I'd like it to be somewhere where I could talk about it and it wasn't kind of set apart from without me being there. Um, I think there's a lot that goes on in my head and I kind of want people to have the opportunity to understand some of that if they want, you know, um, I think I also know that people will see what they want to see in art. So it's a kind of a, a two-way thing. Um, but I, I think my overriding feeling is that I would like people to find work interesting. Uh, I want I want it to tell the story about what's going on in me and why, um, given that they're going to make their own interpretations, really. Yeah. So I know you said that you, in the course of one day, you might work on several projects at a time. Um, does that have to do with just sort of your intuitiveness about what is speaking to you at the time? I'm curious a little bit about the physicality of your work and how it affects your body. Um, when you're doing little stitching or cutting things up or doing bigger things. I know that when I've done like quilting or something, I can't do it for very long. Or if I really get in this flow state, then my body sort of seizes up and then I have to spend like a couple days recovering from that. So I guess I'm curious about two things. One, how do you move from one project to the next? What what sort of motivates you to do that? And if you could talk a little bit about the physicality of your work too, that would be interesting. Okay. Um, so regarding kind of what I do when, um, there's two things that affect that really. Um, sometimes I will get in a flow about a project. Um, and if it's textile based, then that's what I'll do. And if it's painting, that's what I'll do. And I've got the freedom to choose really. So it, it is, a wonderful thing to be able to get up in the morning and think what do I feel like doing um and and swap between the two really um because they are for me really different the painting feels like the riskier freer kind of what you know wilder side uh, unpredictable side and the stitching is the slower calmer more I'm in my comfort zone a little bit more with with that um so I can run with my mood if the energy is high or low. So, so there's something about the project that's in, in my head at that moment in time. And then there's something about the routine of the day. So I'm a, a lark. I get up while well, I'm awake really early. I don't get up that early, but I'm awake really early. So I have my energy in the mornings and I'm usually in a state of, you know, watching rubbish on the telly you know in the evenings um I've got very low energy in the evenings so typically um I tend to paint in the morning I find it I don't do it very often in an afternoon after afternoons I, I might do a bit of something but often it's other jobs and things so painting in the morning um and the little pots they happen in an evening when I got my feet up um when I'm painting I do find I want to naturally spend a good couple of hours doing something. It takes me a while before I start kind of getting into it. Um, I'm definitely not someone who can kind of keep going and doing 
20 minutes, 15 minutes. I, I find I need a longer time. Um, I do. So physically, I've got a bad back. Um, so I've got a standing desk in my studio. Um, and that's one of the things I can't do without. Um, yeah. So I always paint standing up. That really helps. Um, it really helps when you're printing or doing something where you're pressing down because that that's really bad for my back. Um, so since I've got that, um, that's been absolutely amazing. Um, and then to recuperate, I'll often go and lie down <laughs> in the lounge on the floor. My back just needs to be on the floor sometimes. Um, if I'm really excited about something and I'm doing painting for several days, sometimes my back will get a bit sore. Sometimes my feet will get a bit sore. Um, so one of my treats is to have a nice hot bath. Um, and sometimes I have to limit limit you know certain jobs just because my back aches um but that's where the physicality kicks in hands wise uh, i am of an age where they're starting to get a little bit bumpy knuckles and you know not quite as good as they used to be but so far i'm fine to do what it is i want to do at the moment that's great so you mentioned this in passing but i want to ask you the question what is it is there something in your studio that you can't live without well, it would be now my standing desk, but people have asked this before. And yeah, the other thing that I think I couldn't live without is a weird little thing, but it's an awl or a bradle, which is uh, basically a metal spiky point uh, with a handle on the end for making holes in things. A-W-L, right? Yeah, I use it all the time. I couldn't be without something that made holes or scratch things or, yeah, we use it a lot. Oh, that's cool. Um, so when you're in your studio, do you have a uniform? I have a clothing principle, I'd say. Not a uniform, but um, I tend to wear all the clothes that have got really disreputable. Um, I have a shelf in my wardrobe where clothes go to die, and they're what I wear in the studio. So in the winter, I tend to live in um, kind of a pair of sports trousers and, you know, T-shirts that have got a bit not very nice for going out and and an old sweatshirt and in the summer I wear what I've got on today which is a, a really old denim pinafore kind of dress um <clears throat> just so I can wipe paint down it and not have to wear an apron um so yeah I I, I feel I feel it kind of like is part of getting in the zone and I also feel freer wearing clothes that I can mess up rather than having to put aprons on um the downside is that if I'm ever painting and I haven't got these clothes on, I really have to remember not to wipe paint down anything else. <laughs> well, they're going to end up on that shelf, aren't they? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, they do. Um, is there something that's challenging for you that we might not expect? Yeah, there's, um, there's a couple of things. Um, one is working big. I find it really hard to scale up. Um, and I'm I'm trying a painting at the moment, which is bigger than usual. And that's the one that I'm wrestling with. Um, and I've tried textile art things and they all end up being small. And I don't, I don't know whether that's just because I'm blocking myself or whether I'm someone who is going to be making small things. I'm not sure. Um, but working working bigger is something I want to do. 
and yet I have to battle with it. Um, it's bizarre, really, that something that sounds so easy is is actually not. And there's a kind of due diligence that you have to do in the creative process to even move, you know, in, in a direction like that and scale up. And, and I know other people have talked about it and sometimes folk can just go for it. And other times you have to kind of do it in increments. But yeah, it's just it's just something that I've time and time again found myself making smaller things. Well, even the even the larger vessels that you made that you took apart and made them into smaller pots. So that I find hard. Um, I'm I'm not a very introverted introvert, but I am an introvert. And I think sometimes, um, I think sometimes when I'm thinking or I'm, I'm at work, I can look serious when I'm not inside. <laughs> I'm just thinking. <laughs> so sometimes I have to make sure that I'm not looking too serious when I'm chatting to people um, because I think I have that kind of face on uh, when I'm just thinking. <laughs> right, right. And the third thing that I cannot do to save my life is calligraphy. I'm left-handed and uh, I love text and I would love to be able to write beautifully and do calligraphy. And no, never, it's, not, it's never been for me. Do you think that has something to do with you being left-handed? Yeah, um, a lot of the pens you need to pull uh, as you're writing. You pull away, whereas a left-handed person kind of just pushes. And it, it doesn't work terribly well with the, you know, the old-fashioned ink nibs. Oh, that's so interesting. So you can if... get left-handed nibs, but I, I, yeah, it's just, I gave up on it years ago. Yeah. Do you ever get stuck either like, daily or weekly or seasonally with your work and how do you sort of move out of that and keep the momentum going I think I get stuck when I'm not feeling that chipper or whether there's other things that are going on in my life um sometimes it's hard to be creative when you've got your mind on other things or there's a worry or you know something that you're dealing with and so those would be my stuck periods where I don't feel like doing anything um and sometimes I can kind of approach a piece and think yeah I'm going to do something today and other times again it's it's a really weird feeling but I can I can come to the studio and think it's not a day for doing art. And if I try, it's all going to go wrong. I don't know if you have that feeling, but it's kind of like something inside you knows that it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So I think life events, you know, life, um, other things other than the art tend to stop me. Not so much doing the arty things themselves because I am someone that does lots of different things. So if, if the painting um, side of it isn't inspiring me, then I'll swap to textiles and I've I've got several projects you know that are in the background that I can move around with so I think I think that's really helpful for not being stuck uh, for me I read I'm just going to read something that you wrote I, I can't remember if it was on your blog or in a post but you said I've said for many years that I looked down and in for creativity and up and out for a sense of well-being. 
Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, I live in a part of West Yorkshire where we're on a busy street, but I can walk out uh, the back into fields and so on. Uh, and we have beautiful landscapes in, in Yorkshire. And so when I'm walking, I'm going, wow, you know, it's lovely, that therapy of being in nature um, or by the sea and so on. But I, as I made things, I realized that what I made wasn't particularly about the long view, you know, that that physical look, looking over the hills particularly, although it's, that that's coming out in painting a bit more. A lot of my work is about tiny things. It's about detail. Um, so I like containing things. Um, I'm aware of the kind of um, containment and constraint um, in me as a person and needing to explore that a little bit, as well as literally, you know, making little houses and putting objects in. But it'll often be looking at the detail on a shell or on some barnacles or looking at these small pebbles. So it, it is a, almost a physical thing of put your head up and breathe in and let nature in that way, relax your shoulders, take a deep breath. But when I'm working, I'm looking, I'm looking down and in at the texture of stone or this or that. Um, it is literally that really. Mm -hmm. oh, I love that. Yeah. Well, and you and I, we had a brief conversation before we started the recording um, about nature and you know, flourishing and well-being and positive psychology and how there's all this evidence that nature restores your attention deficit. And there's this attention restoration theory where if you go outside in nature, um, that it literally changes your brain. It change it opens up these pathways that allow you to do more problem solving and creativity and get those aha moments, you know, and I just think that's delightful that there's scientific evidence for the thing that you and I and many others know intuitively that going outside, looking up for that sense of well-being, And, you know, there's this point of awe and wonder that happens too. looking up at the trees or the sky or whatever feeds you in that way. But I'm always, not always, I am often surprised when I go for a walk and the first few minutes, I'm like, why aren't I having any life-changing aha moments? And I'm like, here I am in the woods and I'm kind of, you know, irritated. And then I kind of calm down and, you know, 15 minutes in, I just, all these things start coming to me and I'm like, oh, um, so not trying so hard helps, <laughs> but it just, it just comes. I just think it's, I just think it's fascinating. I, I, I totally agree. Um, and I, this, it comes back to this noticing thing. And uh, one of the things that we did in the pandemic was a, a bit of a sort of circular walk from our door back. And I thought I'm going to notice things uh, on this walk, the same walk that we do almost every day. And uh yeah, I mean, seasonally, it's more challenging, but because I've walked it for a whole year and uh, there weren't much left at the end, but I I picked up little tiny bits um, during a month and put them in a, a, in a bowl. And uh, I've got some little, little boxes, this thing about containing all the time. Um, and I wrap them up with a really old bit of little script. Uh, so they've, I've got these tiny bundles from each month of the year. 
of bits of tooth that I've picked up and it might be a feather or it might be something man-made or you know a bit of yarn anything really and so to begin with there was uh, a lot more to find and at certain times a year there's lots more to find um and then as it went along it was more and more difficult to find things but you know you still do because you think well there's I don't know there's not seeds on the floor but what else can I look at and it forces you and you think well there's look at those grass heads or, or look at that old something or, or somebody's dropped something on on the road um and and yeah it was great collecting all those um but I have to be careful not to just keep my head down the whole time um and to to, to look up really for that kind of well-being bit not not to talk to him indoors all the way around you know to be present um as well there is a quote and it's not the one that you normally ask people for at the end but I'll, I'll tell it to you now so it's probably my favorite one um by somebody called Jacob Norby and he says we wait starving for moments of high magic to inspire us but life is a banquet of common enchantment waiting for our alchemist's eye to notice oh I love that and that that's kind of how I feel uh, that's the joy that I get from nature, I think. Okay, I'm going to come back to you with another quote about pausing. There's a book called Do, colon, Pause by Robert Boynton. I read it a lot. Um, but he talks about pause, that a pause is an opening which allows, enables, permits, or invites all sorts of other possibilities. Oh uh, yeah. Nice. And I know a lot of us aren't patient and we want things to happen quickly. Um, but knowing that pausing opens up all these other possibilities is just sort of like one of the things on the to-do list. Like you have to pause in order to keep going. Um, anyway. Okay. I could talk about that forever. So I won't let's what, what, what I would love to, to say is that some of this kind of thinking about how it is um, and how it might be for you and um, some of the kind of internal goings on of what it means to, to create and make things. I think if you've got someone that you can talk to about all that, it's a, a really wonderful gift. Um, so I, I have a friend um, called Christina Pomeroy, and she's one of the other um artists in Ireland and we we talk um regularly about what we're doing and how it makes us feel and uh, kind of provide that mirror with each other um and she is also um someone who's very in tune I think with her surroundings <clears throat> and it's been a, a real joy to have some of those conversations it's really helped me to understand what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, perhaps some of the things that, you know, um, your work teaches you or what somebody else can see in your work that you don't see yourself. Um, so I, I would I would say that if anyone has um, a friend like that, that where you can talk about what you're doing, that helps enormously. Oh, a support system or some sort of community that you feel comfortable sharing all the things with, being completely open and honest yeah I think so I think incredible. someone that you can do that with is is great because I certainly don't feel that social media is a place for that you know I know some people um 
will will share a lot of, more than than I would feel comfortable because I don't really know those folk. Um, mm-hmm. And it's yeah. Talk a little bit more about your relationship with social media. I. Okay, so when it comes to Instagram, uh, I've described myself as a bit of a both and kind of person. And I think social media is the same. You know, there are frustrations and things we have to cope with, as well as the joys. Um, I I was a late, a latecomer to Instagram. Uh, I had Facebook, which was just a personal one. Um, In the fullness of time, I created a Facebook page um, and then went on to Instagram and I really quite like Instagram because of it being so visual. Um, Over the years, it's had um, a lot of different iterations and, you know, frustrations and all the rest of it, but I still think the joys actually outweigh the frustrations for me um, because I've had a number of opportunities that have come just from being able to share with other people um, and, and have that community. I know it's kind of not, face-to-face and is is unreal in that sense but it it still is real Um, and you meet a lot more people than you than you ever would have done and you're able to see a lot more things than you would have done in the not you know you can't go and see all the different exhibitions and yet you can online and you can get a sense of things so um I have had moments when it's felt a bit much or I've got overly concerned with posting um so I make sure each year that I have a break from Instagram, usually over Christmas and like a summer holiday. I'll just tell people, right, I'm going away now. <laughs> and I don't because I think that's really good. I think it's good to test yourself that you're OK without without it. I think that's a really good practice. Um, and I'm also um, not worried if I haven't got anything to post, I won't post it, you know if there's going to be a gap because I'm not doing anything, then there's going to be a gap. So um, I think I've got more chilled about Instagram. Yeah. My blog is the place where I make sense of things. So I I feel I'm also a sense maker. Um, And so I will kind of wrap things up in a, in a blog. Um, So having done the residency, I write about it, you know, having, having kind of done a bit of work on something, I'll write about it, but I do kind of like to make sense. So it forces me to think about what's going on at the time, you know, even in the title of it, um, you know, what, what, what is happening at the moment um, and trying to kind of round that up really. That's, that's something um, for me. Um, And I, more people have been reading that lately, actually. So it used to be everyone just wanted instant images on Instagram, but I have seen a lot more people, um, subscribing to uh, to the blog on the website and and interacting a bit more in Facebook actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I think the it brings me back to what you said earlier about how your work teaches you after you've done it. So writing in the blog is giving you that opportunity to process yes. what you've learned. And I mean, it's delightful to read your posts as well knowing what you're doing. Plus you own that content. I mean, if Instagram, who knows about social media, right? Um, But your blog is yours. It will always be yours. That's always your content. And it's your, you know, part of your own journaling Mm -hmm. about what you're going through. So 
as a reader, we appreciate you taking the time to do that because so many people don't do that anymore because it's just this instant, I'm going to write a few sentences, right? I mean, it's a, it is time consuming to write a blog, right? It is. Yeah, it is. Especially when you're wanting to craft it somehow. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it does take me a long time. Um, And sometimes it's nice to find quotes and little bits and pieces like that, you know, so yeah, it does take a while to do it. But somebody, my friend said to me, if nobody in the world read your blog, would you still do it when I was having an angsty moment about things? And uh, it was a very wise question. And I thought, yeah, I would actually, because that of everything is where I wrap things up and make sense about what I'm doing. Yeah. I feel the same way about this podcast. If no one listened, I would still do it. Like Mm -hmm. I, the joy in me is talking to you right now in this moment. And yes, I love that people listen and that they respond and that they tell me that they enjoy the conversations and that's all great. And, you know, getting likes hits that dopamine fix or whatever, but it's these conversations right here. Like, I mean, I've done this for, you know, what are you number 74 or something? And no one's paying me to do this. And I really, this is the thing that I really want to do. So I feel the same way. Um, yeah. What do you want for your creative life this next year? Is there something that's next for you? Um, so next year I have shrunk the time that I, uh, give to being, um, out there doing workshops and talks and things so that I've got more time to do my my art. Um, I think during the next year, I'd quite like to get a bit down the road with this big piece. Um, so I've come back for the residency. It was so intense. I just had to put it away. Um, and, and I woke up this morning thinking, yeah, I'm ready to pick that back up again, actually, and do some more work on it. Um, because before I leave this mortal world, um, I, I would really love to show some of my work somewhere. Um, but I haven't approached uh, anyone to do that because I haven't been kind of like on my way getting ready for it. So I think um, a little bit more work needs to be there in the in the way, you know, waiting in the sidelines, as it were, so that if if uh, somebody said, yes, you can have this space, um, I've got enough um, things to show. Um, so I think it's. I don't know, actually. Um, if you'd have asked me that question last year, I'd probably have quite a lot of different answers. But this year, we're trying to move house as well. Um, so I'm trying to make space for that. Um, I'm really liking the feeling that I've got quite a while when I'm not um, doing lots of other work. So I can um, come in the studio. We haven't got people viewing the house anymore, so I can leave that a mess. Um, I am loving painting um so I've been selling a few of those so I'm just gonna kind of trot along really next year I think um I've got a couple of lovely venues that I'm going to to do a couple of workshops um so yeah that's enough really I think for next year just leave a little bit of space I think that's nice yeah you you have to show your work somewhere out there I mean you know if seeing your work on Instagram And if you're listening to this podcast, you have to go look at her website and look at her gallery, but like seeing it in person, 
I mean, you're going to bring so much joy to people and, and to see like this whole body of work that you've done and how it all comes together, what the threads are. It would be so fun to see all the different kinds of work that you do in one space, you know, a retrospective while you're still alive. It's also interesting to see threads in different types of work. I think that brings me a lot of joy and maybe because I feel like my own life has been full of many different things. And on my worst days, I think of myself as scattered and not being able to, you know, hold on to any one thing. And on my best days, I think how wonderful that everyone, everything is connected and I get to do all this. So to have other people who have done different things really makes me feel like more connected in this creative space. That's brilliant. Yeah. Well, I'm really, I'm really pleased that you are able to feel like that more often than not. And I think these days we've got so much at our disposal that we, we are able to do, aren't we? So many different things. I think the time in which we're living enables us to kind of branch out and do different things. But I have also grappled with that. Do I carry on doing more than one thing? Because will it ever, you know, lead me deep enough to to get stuck into something um and it's that's been a real battle over the years actually uh with myself you know um is it okay to do this and this and this um or or should I not and should I limit myself down so that I can travel a lot deeper into one thing but I can tell you I cannot do the same thing over and over it would bore me rigid I would probably self-combust I I absolutely am someone who needs to make a lot of different things. That's why I'm happiest. And as I look back, although they are different, I can start to see, and I've you know, had conversations um, with other people who've helped me see that there are, there is a voice there, I suppose is what you would say. There's a voice and there are a couple of, particularly a couple of themes really. Apart from stone, the, the, the wider theme for me is being about containment, containing and constraining. So this thing about your work teaching you about yourself, um, I've done a lot about what stone walls look like, but there's definitely an element there about being walled in, you know, um, looking at the crumbly bits of walls because that's maybe where I'm at at the moment, you know, pulling down some of those stones. Um, there's a what is it biographical autobiographical kind of element to to what you do and um I live in a stone house (laughs) I love it um but uh yeah when it comes to walls there's definitely something about my personality and the things that have gone together to make me um where I, I think the painting is um helping me to feel a bit freer you know that lots of things about the nurturing part of being contained, but also sometimes you're constrained and working against that when you need to. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that really resonates with me. You know, I think what what I'm trying to do, maybe in, you know, after I've done so many of these, my work is teaching me this, um, but this authentic obsession thing, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to see what's carrying you through all the things in your life, your personal, your creative life. It's not that you have to choose one thing. It can change, but there's also, 
what I'm finding by talking to people is that there usually is a thread and it doesn't mean it's a tangible thing. It can be stone, but you're taking these stone walls and you're expanding it into, you know, theoretical ideas and, um, and what's the deeper meaning behind the stone walls. I'm hoping that if people think about this in that way, that it's giving them permission to do whatever it is they need to do. If it's many things, it's many things, but knowing too, that there's something that ties it all together, you know, the red thread, the, whatever it is that it's not wrong. You shouldn't, it's not that you should be doing something different. I just think it's fascinating to hear the story behind it all. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, all right. Are you ready for your rapid fire questions? Yes. Okay. If you could sit down with another artist and have a conversation like this one, who would you ask and what would you like to talk about? Okay. Um, I've chosen someone that I feel I could talk to because of some of the things I've been describing to you. So it sounds extremely pompous, but I could sit down and be in awe of all sorts of artists. But if we're going to have a conversation, I thought it needed to be someone whose work I felt resonated in some way and that I might have something at least to ask, if not to say. Um, So I've chosen Henry Moore, who's a very famous sculptor, and he comes from Yorkshire. Um, And uh, he he does these huge sculptures, um, but he's also well known for um, some drawings called the Shelter Drawings. So there's a book called London's War, The Shelter Drawings of Henry Moore. And um, back in World War II, he was commissioned to go down into the London Underground tubes, uh, stations and tunnels where everybody would go at night, you know, to hide Mm -hmm. from being bombed. Um, And it's a a really fascinating account um, of, of that time. Um, but I, I don't know how it, I went down a rabbit hole on social media somewhere and realized that this book was available. So, um, I, I bought it and I just thought, oh yeah, there's something really that I love about these drawings. Um, and it, it really resonates because, um, it just echoes some of what we've been saying, really. It's all about containing people safely, really, in some ways, um, and also feeling constrained, you know, you're you're sort of trapped down there and yet you're held down there as well at the same time. And um, he's got these layers to his drawings. So you'll find um, a woman with, with a child on the lap, but um, they might be under a blanket and then they're within the tunnel there. Um, and or they might be within a row of people sleeping or, you know, they're certainly within walls coming back to that. So um these kind of wrappings you know people wrapped up in different things and in different layers really kind of speaks to me a lot and he you know in some senses it's also like a both and because he's chronicling um a nation really at a time and yet he's capturing these very tiny personal intimate moments um and it's it's kind of emotions of people being uh, feeling resignation as well as stoicism, um, vulnerability and strength. And some of these drawings led to his later sculptures, which I suppose he's probably more famous for. Um, but it's 
it's these shelter drawings that I, I found fascinating. Um, and some people have said it. some of his reclining figures are a little bit like the lands, the landscape and the hills of Yorkshire. You know, there's sort of echoes of those shapes there as well. Um, but he his in his sculptures, he'll, he'll do figures and he's he's well known for them having a hole uh, through them. And he said the first hole made through a piece of stone is a revelation. The hole connects one side to the other, making it immediately more three-dimensional and I thought yeah that's quite fascinating isn't it because we as people have different sides we are quite mysterious um and yet through this hole h-o-l-e he's making this sculpture this person more whole w-h-o-l-e you know there was something about the whole so I'd like to ask him about the holes in his sculptures as well and it made me think um and it might be a bit tenuous, but it did make me think that actually my fascination with stone walls, um, if you know anything about kind of what they look like, and, and it's the same with trees, isn't it? They have different fauna and flora, flora, flora um, on the two different sides. You know, if it's a wall facing the wind and so on, it'll look very different to the side that's sheltered and you'll get lichen growing on one side. You'll get all the plants sheltering on one side. You know, and then you can get those lovely crumbly bits, which kind of seat the wall in the land space, you know, a bit like some of what I think um, I felt about his work. So, um, it, yeah, it just felt quite connected to some of that. So I'd love to have a cup of tea and a natter with Henry Moore. <laughs> his sculptures are beautiful. What struck me, though, when you started talking was he makes these very large uh, sculptures but what I like are the very small drawings. So you're also appreciating the small and the tiny in someone else, not just in you. So yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. We'll put a link in there. Cause you guys have to see some of these sculptures. They're incredible. Are, are they, um, can you find them around you? Um, we, we do have ones yeah, round and about. I mean, um, we've got some at the Yorkshire sculpture park. Um, which anyone around here will know about. It's it's quite quite well known nationally. Um, so describe a favorite outdoor spot. Um, my favorite outdoor spot is um, generally speaking in a wood. Um, I just love being in a woodland of any description. And as a little girl, um, my we grew up in church and my, my parents always kept Sunday to ourselves. And so Sunday afternoons, we were, we didn't play with friends. It was kind of family time. And I would always say, can we go to the woods? Can we go to the woods? And I, I love being in a wood and the trees and so on. I would rather be in something like that than up right high on a mountain. That That's my soul space. Um, more specifically, we can walk out the back of where we live at the moment and there are some beautiful fields and I have a favorite field uh, that I like to walk in. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. Um, what's your, do you have a comfort food? I do. So um, I don't know if you guys know about Cadbury's chocolate over here in England, but it is the kind of chocolate that everyone eats. Uh, it's the ones with the purple wrappers around it. And anybody who knows me well will be able to tell you what my comfort food is because I will be happily bribed by a bag of giant chocolate buttons. 
<laughs> yeah, chocolate is a common theme. <laughs> yeah, I think it's yeah. nice because you can snack on it all during the day too. <laughs> well, I'm trying not to eat as much as I've been doing, but yeah, they are def- chocolate's definitely my comfort food. That's great. Um, all right, do you have a personal motto or a saying that inspires you? I don't have particularly um I do try and start each year with a kind of intention for the year so um it's not a saying um that stays necessarily but um this year um I've got one uh, on my phone which is about accepting the things that you can't change and just letting them go um as we're trying to move house in England it's a hugely arduous and precarious kind of process there's no there's no um um, deposits or anything like that paid right to the end of the process so you know it takes 16 weeks at the moment to move house at least and and there's nothing stopping anyone kind of dropping out along the way so so that's my motto for the situation that we're in at the minute is um but I do have um a saying which I like um I wouldn't say it's kind of up on my wall but I just thought given that we've talked about stones and pebbles and things I'd uh, kind of round it up for you. <laughs> it's another Joseph, Joseph Joubert. And he said, you have to be like the pebble in the stream, keeping the grain and rolling along without being dissolved or dissolving anything else. Mm. Mm. Thank you. What a lovely way to go out. Oh, Rachel, I, I can't thank you enough for this conversation. You have made my week. This has been delightful um, to get to know you a little bit more and what's behind all the amazing work that you are creating. I just love the, the life that you put into everything. I can see it and um, the colors and the textures and all the different things that you're weaving together in a piece really comes through and um, it's a lot more complex if you really take time to notice and really dig deep and look. So thank you for sharing all of what you did with us today. Well, thank you. It's been a real pleasure. I've followed you pretty much from the start and uh, I've told lots of people about, you know, your gracious way that you interview people and allow them the time to say what they do. So um, I'm beyond thrilled to have been asked and uh, yeah, it's been great talking to you too. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. That's such a lovely compliment. Wasn't that great? Here are the takeaways from my conversation with Rachel. Number one, music is the space between the notes. Number two, your work teaches you after you've done it. Number three, you need other people to notice things in your work that you may not see. Number four, look down and in for creativity and up and out for a sense of well-being. And number five, do take time to contemplate and mull and simply look long enough to see things from a distance. Thank you so much for listening. And please, if this episode resonated with you and you have a friend that would enjoy it, pay it forward and send them the link. I'll thank you.